Wow, we got something. We're in. Greetings. Hello. Shall we play a game? Oh, love to. Let's play Global Thermonuclear War. Welcome to Around the World in 80s Movies. My name is Vince Leo. I'm the author of the film review website, Quipster.net. I invite you to check out over 4,000 of my written reviews. You can read there anytime, covering all eras of cinema. Quipster.net is where to go. Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R. I also want to remind you that I cover new films in podcast form. You can check my other podcast. It's called the Quipster Film Review Podcast. Just remember that Quipster is spelled with a W instead of a U. Today we're going to be switching from those Superman films that I've just done for like the last five episodes and get into more, I guess, varied films for the next few episodes anyway. We're going to be starting a three-part series in which video games present a certain danger for the protagonist. Deadly games, dangerous games, whatever you want to call this series is what I'm going to be talking about. And we're going to start off this trilogy of films with one of the more popular ones to cover this. It's not really a video game movie per se. There is gaming involved, and certainly that does make it qualify. However, it's more about hacking and nuclear threats and other things. I'm talking about specifically 1983's War Games. This one stars Matthew Broderick. It also has Barry Corbin, Ali Sheedy, Dabney Coleman, John Wood, Maury Chaikin, Eddie Deason, and... A bunch of others. John Badham is the director and the screenplay is credited to Lawrence Lasker and Walter F. Parks. It's a PG-rated film. It does have mild language and mild violence. And the runtime is an hour and 54 minutes. Now, I suppose that the more that time goes on, the more dated a film like War Games becomes. It's not only because of the archaic technology employed within the movie, at least as compared to what you'd find today, but it's also in the Cold War nuclear politics that we're still quite all-consuming during the Reagan era, at least in the early part of it. It was released the same year that the president, President Reagan, would refer to the Soviet Union as the evil empire. And also, Americans would become very scared additionally in their home when they watched the result of nuclear war take place on their TV screens for the TV movie called The Day After. However, even taking into account some of the contrived leaps in logic and the impossibility of such an event ever taking place, we didn't know that necessarily at the time, 
This is a thought-provoking way for the youth of America to understand not only the dangers of hacking into places you really shouldn't be hacking into, but also that the annihilation of the human race could only be minutes away at a time if anything were to launch of a nuclear nature, you know, nuclear bombs, retaliation, and of course, probably wipe out most of the humans on the planet and a whole lot of other animals as well. And that's something that could be caused by something as random as a computer glitch. Now, this all feeds into this anxiety that we all feel about the reliance that we have on our use of computers for the most critical operations that govern our lives and how someone with enough hacking skills could, and presumably eventually will, put all our lives in jeopardy by getting access to things that could do great damage upon the populace. And perhaps none is more extreme than the annihilation of all life on Earth as we know it, as presented here in War Games. Now, Matthew Broderick is the star. He's memorably getting the lead role here. He plays a smart-alecky high schooler named David Lightman. Lightman is a computer geek from Seattle who spends a great deal of his time trying to figure out ways to hack into places for his own entertainment or to do such delinquent deeds as changing his own grades from the school computers. Now, his latest goal is to discover how to get into the computers at this gaming company to play their latest big game before it comes out. But he ends up unwittingly ending up inside something called WOPR, W-O-P-R, which stands for War Operation Plan Response which is this new top defense computer that the Pentagon has at its disposal in their NORAD facility, NORAD standing for the North American Aerospace Defense Command. Now, David, when he hacks into there, is presented with a list of games to play. So he doesn't know that this is a government computer that he's hacked into. He thinks he's with a game company, and he's especially intrigued by one game entitled Global Thermonuclear War. This is a simulation of U.S. versus USSR nuclear war scenarios. Now, alas, what started out as a game seems all too real suddenly as Whopper takes over the systems of the NORAD project and the folks there aren't sure that what they're seeing is all a game or if the Soviet missiles that appear to be poised to wipe out the U.S. means World War III is actually imminent. A little bit more to the story than that, but that's the basic premise of this film. Now, Although War Games is mainly viewed as a juvenile sci-fi adventure by today's standards, it was taken with serious consideration at the time of its release. And that's thanks to the prevailing fear of nuclear war that encompassed a lot of the American psyche at the time, in addition to the vast majority of the American public not yet knowing about such things as modems or how computer databases actually work. So there was some weightiness of some very real issues, and that led to it earning three Academy Award nominations, including one for Best Writing for the Screenplay by Lasker and Parks. They would revisit this hacker theme, by the way, in a future film, one from the early 90s called Sneakers. So if you like sneakers and you haven't seen War Games, definitely check that out as a kind of an early companion. Now, interestingly, the screenwriters did not start war games with the ideas of hacking or nuclear annihilation in mind. Their original draft, which was uh, initially titled The Genius, they had in mind a Stephen Hawking-esque genius who is residing in a wheelchair. They hoped that genius would actually be played by none other than ex-Beatles John Lennon, who did express some interest in the role prior to his untimely death, unfortunately, in 1980. This genius was going to mentor a juvenile delinquent who would bring out some of his ideas and and bring them to light. And in the research that they did for this film on what brilliant but not exactly lawful youth were doing at the time, 
the screenwriters stumbled onto the world of video games and phone freaking and computer hacking, and eventually the story began to morph into what it eventually became. Now, couple this with a real-life news story that took place in 1980 that they'd seen where the United States actually believed that they could be under nuclear attack for a few minutes when someone had accidentally left a tape of a simulated attack playing on a computer in NORAD. Then the screenwriters had the building blocks in place for what a young hacker could do on a larger scale if he altered the nature of what the military could see on their computer screens. Now, even with a Cracker Jack script here, the subject was a little too new and not really readily understood by those who ran the movie studios, so that made it a hard sell as they shopped the script around. Now, the only studio who really agreed to take it on is Universal Artists, and they immediately attached Martin Brest to direct. So unfortunately, once Brest was on board, the project ended up going into a bit of an upheaval. Brest envisioned War Games as a very dark and cynical political thriller, much more in contrast to the lighthearted tone of the fun and the teen adventure that Lasker and Parks, who were commissioned to make changes to their script before they eventually were let go from the project, that they were bringing to their original story. They wanted something much more adventurous and lighthearted. Now, United Artists, however, were not really feeling Brest's vibe in the Spielbergian era of films, thinking that this kind of filmmaking had run its course in the 1970s, this kind of bleakness, and that would fail to connect with modern audiences looking for something a little bit more optimistic. So after three weeks of shooting and not really feeling what Brest had been delivering, the studio eventually replaced him with John Badham. Badham came in with some acclaim for his work on such films as Saturday Night Fever and, and Whose Life Is It Anyway?, and he ended up bringing back Lasker and Parks with a revised script that they had worked on. And then they ended up punching it up some more from the likes of screenwriters like Wallen Green and Tom Mankiewicz. Now, the dialogue was spiced up to make it a little bit funnier. Now, don't feel sorry for Brest for being released from this film because he would end up finding that his instincts as a director were better received when he went on to direct the even more wildly successful Beverly Hills Cop the following year. So although some aspects of war games are admittedly dated, it still manages to be a riveting and very intelligent thriller with some terrific performances from a cast of very appealing character actors in this film. Matthew Broderick as a star, really kind of his first big starring role, he does make for a perfect reluctant hero. He plays this like a bright boy next door as you'd find in almost any neighborhood. And that furthers the feeling that certain calamity could come at any time from any corner of the globe. You have superb character actors filling up the supporting roles. You got fantastic parts for Dabney Coleman and Barry Corbin and John Wood as the only men with the power to stop world destruction. If only they had a clue as to what was really going on. Ali Sheedy here in her first big role as well. She shows here early signs as to why she would become one of the most sought-after actresses for the next several years with this effervescent portrayal of Broderick's would-be girlfriend named Jennifer. So along with Hal, so so along with Hal in 2001: A Space Odyssey, I think that War Games solidified into the public psyche this unease of allowing computers to grow too sophisticated in their artificial intelligence to the point where an uncaring and highly calculating so-called being begins to make decisions for us and sometimes to us, as the Terminator would strongly suggest when it was released the year after War Games. For many viewers, 
War games would also represent their first exposure to the notions of hacking and the building blocks of what would become the internet and the relative ease in the comfort of one teenager's bedroom, no less, to be able to access and even alter information in the database of his own school or an airport and eventually a highly secure and powerful government computer that was designed in a way that few that work with it can understand or control on either end of it. Now, the fear drawn out by war games at the time resulted in a number of high-profile news stories that questioned whether our computer defenses could be breached to the point where someone could cause mayhem and potential destruction by tapping into high-security controls. This interest in the subject grew so large that eventually congressional hearings on the matter took place as to whether fantasy here in war games is actually close to reality. They used clips from the movie to accentuate various concerns that they had in Congress. And it all ultimately manifested into some early proposals for various government controls placed on network access, the seeds of the internet, and in order to try to keep secrets and controls under the control of those who are authorized only. Now, some of the elder members of Congress assumed that teenagers knew how to use this technology in ways that they lacked the know-how or experience to comprehend. I mean, really, people in Congress had no idea what teenagers knew, and they just felt that they could probably do anything with movies like this. So some regulatory restrictions and punitive actions for willful trespasses were deemed as needed to keep government and businesses safe from the crafty youth of that era many of whom were inspired to buy modems and to tool around, perhaps even try to hack by the very film that was meant to be a cautionary tale against it. And so by today's standards, and by today meaning 2018 when I'm recording this, we realize that the danger lies not in the computers becoming too intelligent or in curious teenage hackers just noodling around looking for a challenge, but in the fact that government institutions themselves use cyber warfare to affect the world. While global thermonuclear war may still be a bit far-fetched, the headlines of 2018 are full of notions that an adversary of the United States actually used cyber attacks to influence opinions through fake social media accounts, to sow distrust in Americans and one another, and other parts of Europe and the world by setting up organized rallies that draw in stirred-up protesters in conflict with one another, and they ended up hacking and then releasing damaging information, trying to destroy one political opponent in order to put into presidency a candidate that they deemed would be more favorable to their country's interests and that's something that would not even be on the radar as something that could ever happen in the world of 1983. But it emphasizes that the Cold War may be dead, but the cyber war is still alive and well, and it shows no signs of dying anytime soon. So in order to properly enjoy war games, you have to overlook some pretty glaring plot holes. Some There are a number of leaps of logic you have to make and some, some outright inaccuracies. For instance, the nature of NORAD is far too expansive in this film than it is in reality, as well as the way that the military makes executive decisions to launch nuclear missiles. Another one includes the so-called voice of Joshua, which is the persona that's given to the artificial intelligence component of the Whopper computer system. You know, David ends up using a device that converts written text to voice for the benefit of him and his girlfriend to be able to hear what's being written by the other side aloud, although it really is to our benefit in the audience because I think we would have grown tired of having to read computer screen going back and forth. David ends up going from talking to Joshua in his bedroom to the folks in the military command center, and yet somehow the ability to hear that same voice that he used on his synthesizer, it transfers with him. No matter what computer he's using, he still hears that voice, even though he's left that device at home. 
Now, those are nitpicks, I understand, but you know, getting beyond that, the pace of war games is very taut. The characters are very likable. You have a good balance of humor here, and the tension is spot on, which allows for a suspension of disbelief that is likely going to be achieved most as the film enters into a very intense and very suspenseful finale that actually shows us just how effectively that the pieces were put together to create a thoughtful and quite unnerving look at the fragile state of our existence on this planet as humans and how easily all of that can come to an end through our own folly and our own reliance on fallible technology that is meant to protect us. So really, you have to credit director John Badham. He came in here very late and did a bang-up job. He keeps the energy and the action flowing just fast enough to never really dwell on anything long enough to notice some of the inconsistencies. We go along with the flow for the sake of this nicely constructed thriller. Ultimately, we are rewarded with this very gripping climax with the fate of the world in the balance. It's all nicely visualized by the set design and some very good special effects work by the teams that do the visual effects there. War Games would prove to be a big hit in 1983. It garnered nearly $80 million at the US box office on a $12 million budget. It ended up placing, for overall for the entire year, it placed fifth for the year in terms of box office receipts. So a pretty big film for its time. Now, War Games, by today's standards, you know, you can see the flaws there. If you're looking for realism, as far as the actual plot line goes, maybe it's not as realistic, but the emotions are real. The tension is real. The themes are real. So even if the mechanics of it aren't real, there are some real things that come about from it. It's still quite entertaining even beyond that. It delivers interesting theories out of some preposterous ideas in a way where you actually almost believe it actually could happen. So as a historical document, I guess, maybe it's hogwash, of course, but as a movie, War Games did firmly root itself into the public psyche of the early 1980s. It showed young and old alike in a very simple but very effective way how the brink of destruction could actually be closer than we would have ever imagined possible. A great film from the early 1980s, nonetheless, it still holds up as far as the tension goes, even though we've progressed far beyond the technology used in this film. So I'm going to give War Games three and a half stars out of four. Three and a half stars on my scale means I think that War Games is a good film. I do definitely recommend you go out of your way to see it if you haven't done so already. I'm sure most people who are listening to this podcast have seen it. If you're really that into 80s movies, how could you not have decided to watch War Games? But if you haven't, if there's one person who's kind of an exception out there, I do highly recommend it. Three and a half stars out of four for War Games. And we're going to continue on with Dangerous Games from the 1980s. Yes, with another film that features Dabney Coleman in it. It actually features a lot of Atari products. It has Dungeons and Dragons type role-playing games in it as well. I'm talking about a film that came out just a year later, 1984. I'm talking about Cloak and Dagger, which features a, a hunt for a video game cartridge that has some sort of, well, we'll get into that next week. Check out Cloak and Dagger if you want to keep up with the movies before I get to the reviews. Dabney Coleman, Henry Thomas, who coming off of E.T., and that will be on next week's episode. Thanks, everyone, for listening to War Games. I hope you enjoyed this review. If you have your own thoughts about War Games, you can find my contact information at my website. You can also find links to my Twitter feed and Facebook page where you can follow along. I do post quite a bit on my Twitter, a lot of different things, jokes about movies, some serious things about movies, and a lot of stuff about the 1980s. So, I do encourage you to check that out. You can go to quipster.net for all of the details. Until next time, thank you everyone for joining me on this trip around the world in 80s movies. Mm-hmm.